0: To Head of the Class, a podcast produced by Our Schools USA. We are Christina Gagne, the former school board member,
1: and Christy Hurst, a former teacher and current public school parent. Christy, it's the first podcast. I'm excited to kick this off. I'm excited to be here, and I'm looking forward
0: to our first conversation. So let's get this started. Since this is our first podcast, we're going to set out our game plan for each week. First, Who are we and why are we doing a podcast? Great question. Christy and I co-founded a national public school education advocacy group, Our Schools USA, after the 2022 election. Christy and I actually met during that election cycle, and we became increasingly concerned about the attacks on public schools and decided that instead of getting mad about it continually, that we would get organized and take action. So what will we talk about on this podcast? What you see in the headlines every single day all things public schools, and there's plenty to talk about these days. But we're also going to discuss the bigger picture of the attack on public education, who is behind it, how they are funded, and what they are doing. That's
1: an understatement. Um, Keeping up is a challenge for us, and I'm sure it's a challenge for everyone listening as well. But our podcast will be short and sweet, taking 15 minutes or less of your time each week to learn about an issue
0: impacting public schools. So we had several conversations about what topic to kick this podcast off with. Uh, These days, it's like feeding through a fire hose with public (laughs) school news and all the attacks on public schools. But our first topic we think was sort of apparent. um, And I don't mean that as a pun. Uh, It was Moms for Liberty. And groups just like them. Um, You're probably well aware that Moms for Liberty is right now having their national summit in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, There's been lots of news coverage and protests and controversy around the summit. Um, But we want to actually dive into, uh, because they are a great prototype for these astroturf groups that magically seem to grow out of nowhere, Um, we thought they would be a great place to start. And so Moms for Liberty, who are they? How did they get here? And what might happen next?
1: So we know that a lot of people still aren't quite clear on who this group is and where they came from. So we're going to dive in a little bit. First, they kind of started off with this three moms narrative, um, which is a little misleading. Uh, They were not just three moms coming together. They were three moms with Some other things that helped prop them up. First, they have political connections to senior figures in Florida's Republican Party. So that was one reason they were able to grow so rapidly and appear so large. Um, They also had connections to conservative media outlets. Um, The kind of outlets you see now who prop up conservative figures like Fox News, Tucker Carlson. They were immediately pulled into that conservative media um, machine and given a lot of coverage immediately, they capitalized on this moment in time, which was COVID. Uh, we can't underscore that that did not play a role. Um, this moment in time allowed them to capitalize on the frustrations. A lot of parents were having with school closures and masking. So that helped to propel them also. Um, Then they had big time conservative donors. So they tried to act like they just sold T-shirts to get the amount of money they have.
0: But really, they had some very large donors. So let's break a little bit into this. So when we talk about the three moms narrative, um, just to be clear, um, they were like myself, um, you know, they were former school board members. And so that is is certainly true. Um, you know, Christy and I are, I'm a former school board member. She's a public school parent and former teacher. Um, So that part of the narrative is certainly true. Um, Where things start to deviate, though, is that these women immediately had political connections because of those ties to the Florida Republican Party. Um, And for those of you that may be novices to politics, we know many people that we are working with with Our Schools USA, um, the attack on public education is what is drawing you into politics for the first time. Um, It's not just the connections to senior figures in the Florida Republican Party. Um, You know, DeSantis, who is now the governor of Florida, but a president presidential candidate for 2024, um, has come out, held press conferences with Moms for Liberty and supported them and publicly you know, come out and given support. And in fact, this weekend, he spoke at their summit in Philadelphia. Donald Trump this weekend also made a big proclamation that Moms for Liberty was not an extremist group, um, even though they have been designated so by <laughs> the Poverty Law Center at this point. So you saw figures from the Florida Republican Party all the way to republican figures and far right conservative figures across the country immediately starting to come out and give support to this organization. And you know, you might think wow, that's an accomplishment for three moms sitting in Florida who just served on school boards. Um, <laughs> that's not reality and that's not realistic. <laughs> um and I think Christy you can probably speak to grassroots organizing and sort of like, you know, how how different that experience has been for them versus the average group.
1: Um, the average group is kind of existing just on the local level. I mean, it's, it's a fight to get the uh, political representatives at your state level to get their ear and listen to what's happening. Um, you could be grassroots organizing for years and not get the attention and money and connections that they have. So I think it's just so clear. They came in with those connections already in existence. And I, I would even go as far as to say the Republican party capitalized on them coming up too. They've really become a huge part of the Republicans' platform in education. They are influencing what the Republican GOP candidates are and the presidential candidates are putting out as their plans for public ed. So their relationships already were there. It was, grassroots people do not get that kind of attention.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that feeds right into that is so when you have political figures who are already well connected and they are they are propping you up and they are putting you out as this is a solution to, you know, even if they are created problems in public education. That was also married with the fact that conservative media immediately started, you know, publicizing them and having them on talk shows. And yes. again, that doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not as though again three moms sat there and just you know reached out to reporters and reached out to Fox News and ended up on Fox News. That takes a lot of time, legwork, talent, and connections. And so. If you are always wondering why, you know, prior to the CBS News piece a couple months ago, um, where CBS did a big feature on Moms for Liberty in that interview with two of the co-founders, you know, why you weren't seeing them perhaps in media that you consume, they were all over conservative media. I mean, you could not escape Moms for Liberty. And I encourage anyone listening, you know, if you do have some time, you know, go back and Google Moms for Liberty 2021, and you'll start to see that there was a ton of coverage. It just was not in what I would say is mainstream Mainstream. media. It was definitely housed in conservative to far white extreme media media, but they received a ton of coverage. And for a nonprofit organization to receive that much coverage, that's how they were meeting people. And I think that that also feeds into this unique moment in time. When they launched, You know, they, again, they were former school board members who lost their seats. And you know what, on a personal level, not with their politics, but with that happening, I have also been a school board member who has also <laughs> lost their seat um, you know they were probably mad about the conditions through which that may have happened. I would assume that probably some some you know anger or angst about policy change um, probably drove the genesis of this idea or somebody approached them because they knew they were former school board members and would be a good face of the organization time will tell the actual story but it was a moment in time where, We were all still stuck at home during the pandemic. And regardless of your views on the variety of pandemic issues, um, you know, people were frustrated. People were tired. I was on the board at the time. Christy, you can attest as a parent what was happening. (laughs) I mean, it was a stressful time for everyone. So I think that no matter which
1: side of the political spectrum you fell on, everybody was struggling. So that they were able to capitalize on that and, um, kind of feed into it a little bit and give people someone to blame because people were having a hard time during that time. Everyone was, we all were. Um, and so they capitalized also on the parents that were okay with what the current situation was with the plans that the public schools had put forth to protect kids. The parents that were okay with that weren't paying attention to what was going on in these meetings, right? Because so many districts were closed. Things were online mostly. So they capitalized on that too. These other parents that were okay with what was happening, weren't paying attention to the chaos that was infiltrating their school boards. And they were able to really gain momentum during that time because a lot of people didn't realize what was happening, who would disagree with them.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, as schools started to open um, and that happened on a varying timeline in different states and even within the state of California, which is our home state, we actually, I was on the board of a district and Christy was a parent in the same district. And we actually are one of the first districts to open and we opened safely. um, And still, we got caught up in the anti-mask school opening movement. So we opened rather early, actually, compared to other schools.
1: But immediately...
0: Go ahead, Christy.
1: (laughs) Yes, within the state, for sure. You were we were far ahead of um, others in the state and for sure within the region. Also, we were one of the we were the first.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, that was something where I think that caught me off guard as a school board member. Like here we are opening the schools, clearly understanding the frustration of, you know, the state framework and how, you know, certain parents were not comfortable with it and they wanted their kids back in classrooms. Um, You know, online learning was frustrating all around for all stakeholders (laughs) with online learning. Um, But immediately you realize that across the country, the anti-mask movement really caught momentum and where it caught momentum was in school board meetings. But Quickly after that, it shifted to vaccines. And quickly after that, it shifted to critical race theory. And quickly after that, it shifted to book bans. And so, you know, the pandemic was just this moment in time, you know, the election in Virginia for governor when Yunkin, you know, actually winning that race, a lot of that was about parent rights. But where it started was this moment in time. And I would argue that had we not had that precise moment in time Moms for Liberty and groups like them may not have found such an easy foothold in catapulting to where they are today as an organization. So there's a variety of factors, but for that moment in time, for sure,
1: for for sure. I think if you remove that, this is not where we'd be today.
0: Uh, the last thing I think that we want to underscore, though, is so we talked about the narrative about the three moms, you know, sit at the kitchen table, whether or not that's true, the political connections of organizations like this, the conservative media, um, the fact that, you know, that moment in time clearly provided some catapulting uh, for the organization. But we also have to talk about the big time conservative donors and You know across the political spectrum there are large donors so we're not going to sit here on this podcast and act like there aren't you know very large donors on the left as well as very large donors on the right but the reality is that this organization is setting itself out as if they are fundraising their money in a grassroots way that they are traditionally grassroots when in reality you know they have from the get been funded by large conservative donors And that that is the money that Moms for Liberty used to play in school board races in 2022. So it is disingenuous for them to act like, and we've seen this in multiple accounts and interviews, that they're getting their entirety, their income from selling Um, (laughs) T-shirts. You're not getting that much money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They also, because of how they're set up, and again, this happens on the left and the right, know their funding sources are opaque and so we really don't know what the resources are of the organization um you know there have been some publicly reported donations but like many of these organizations across the political spectrum we really don't know you know where their money is coming from or how much money they actually have what we do know is that a grassroots organization that is started by parents in a particular you know community is really not going to catapult and grow that fast. That's just not the reality. Having been a nonprofit executive, um, you know, having seen organizations, you know, spring up across the political spectrum for, for years, you know, that's just not realistic. And so we do have to wonder sort of where they are getting their funding and how much funding and sort of the leg up that gives them versus other parent organizations.
1: Exactly. And I know, um, What was funny is to dive into this conference they had in Philadelphia this weekend is they got up and they gave a speech talking about how dark money is infiltrating public schools (laughs) as if they're not somebody who accepts dark money. It's not them. They're deflecting it to public education as being the people who are behind the taking of dark money. Um, I thought that was pretty
0: I mean, funny actually. It is, but it's something that this organization and others like this do very often, which is gaslight people. So when they are accused of doing something, such as taking dark money, and again, organizations across the political spectrum do this, but to sit there and act like dark money's infiltrating public education, well, dark money's also infiltrating your organization. So at least be transparent about the fact that. Everyone is benefiting from various sources of dark money Uh, and don't try to act like how you're going to fight it. What do you mean? How are you going to fight it? The organization that you're wearing the T-shirts of and at the conference (laughs) of is literally receiving dark money in order to provide the conference that you're sitting at. So, you know, again, you know, there is just not that transparency, you know, but at least be honest. I mean, you could at least have an honest conversation about what you are as an organization and not try to act like. But this is their positioning. They are joyful warriors, they are victims, they are freedom fighters, and they are fighting against this behemoth that is public education as if public education has one organization or has one face. Um, And that's part of the problem is that they have positioned themselves as we are parents defending all parents against the entirety of public education. But they're not all parents. I mean, we speak to people across the country every single day that are finally realizing what happened to public schools last election cycle, and they are not happy with it. They don't think their rights are actually being respected. And in fact, they feel that the parent groups in their schools, the Moms for Liberty groups in their schools are taking their rights away. And so they are looking for, you know, how do we combat this and how do we fight back? Um, But that can be difficult when there are groups like Moms for Liberty who are well-funded, are Mm -hmm. well-supported, and, you know, again, like- And
1: well-organized. I think that's the other thing is that they are very well-organized. They are ahead of the rest of us. They work together nationally. There is a playbook they all follow um, that includes harassing community members at school board meetings and those tactics that they use. They are well-organized and well-funded, and I think the other takeaway I want people to make sure that they realize is that they are not for all parents. They are for a very small, specific group of parents. And I would even go further to say they are not about parent rights. They are about control, not rights. They want to control the rights that everybody has based on their beliefs.
0: I think the last uh, point we want to make, and we will get more into the tactics and strategies of these groups at school board meetings, because you're also probably aware that school board meetings went from being sort of, I guess, mundane, boring meetings where, you know, budget and like routine school board decisions were made, let's say in the beginning of 2020, to being these insane, outrageous, like, you know, weekly events in many districts across the country And, you know, there were parent groups coming in, attacking other parents, attacking the school boards, teachers, like all things public education, and they weren't just coming in and being critical they were coming in and causing chaos. They were strategically screaming, threatening people. They basically were doing a performance art of making the school board meetings a very unwelcoming and harassing place. And you know, we were living it in our own community, but you step back very quickly out of your community and your role. It's very easy as a school board member during what happened the last few years to be laser focused on your school district. And I think that was absolutely for me the correct thing to do. But stepping back and looking at it, This was happening across the country. Like You could pick a meeting out of Florida and Texas and Oklahoma and New York and California, and you're going to see the same language being used, the same strategies being used, the same everything, talking points being used. And this is not because these individual groups thought to themselves and organically said, hey, these are our talking points, and we're going to do this tactic, and and we're going to go this way. It's because they were all told to do this because it was part of a national strategy and exactly. And it's still time.
1: happening. It's still happening. So. Yes,
0: absolutely. It's not gone away. Um, You know, I think that now they've changed topics. I really feel like someone at moms for Liberty is spinning a wheel and just picking a new topic every couple of months. Cause that's really what it seems like right now. We are, Yeah, I mean, it's ins- <laughs> it's insane when I can talk to a district
1: in Texas who are passing Almost identical policies to what my district in Southern California is pushing up. So, I mean, that's not by
0: coincidence. That's not an accident. Not at all. And, you know, and the the other thing in terms of strategies, and you'll probably see a lot of this. And if you start interacting online or creating your own content or organizing in your community you're going to be start being called these things. The other thing they do is they try to bully people. So for example, they call their opponents communists. Um, uh, and I really do find that funny. Um, I'm actually leadership in our chamber of commerce. So I love being called a communist. <laughs> um, uh, another
1: these. popular one is groomer. You're yeah, guaranteed groomer. to be called a groomer. If you disagree with them or pedophile. Yes. Yes. You're, I mean, I, It's not funny because those terms have serious implications, but they are making, they are desensitizing people to those words because you be prepared. If you do not agree with them, you will be called that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so they use all these strategies, they use these tactics, they try to bully people. Um, And again, we'll get more into their strategies and tactics and how you can actively combat them. Um, But just to wrap this up, Um, You know, I think we've given you a little bit of a flavor of, you know, who they are um, at a very high level, just trying to kind of like break down like who they are, how they got there. Um, But I want you to, you know, as our takeaway from this first podcast um, is just to think critically about how do groups like this get so big? Um, there's a variety of these groups across the country, Parents Defending Education, the National Parents Union. You know, We could create a whole list for you right now, and we will be addressing all these groups, group by group, just so you understand who they are and what part of the anti-public education space they occupy. But really think critically about how do groups like this get so big? And it's not organically. So I think that as we are all working together you know, to organize and push some of these things back, um, you know, just that critical thinking, I think, is really important because, you know, it's one thing to sit there and think, wow, they are this grassroots organization and they grew dramatically just being a grassroots organization. Like, how did they do that? But that's just not the reality. So what I would say is if you are organizing in your community and you are not finding that thousands of people are like jumping on your Instagram <laughs> page or watching your TikTok or joining your Facebook group, Like that's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you probably don't have, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to to put out ads to be on national media. And so, you know, I think one of our takeaways is just think critically and keep organizing.
1: Yep, exactly. And um, your work matters. So don't give up.
0: This has been Head of the Class, a podcast produced by Our Schools USA. Once again, we are Christina Gagne, the former school board member, and Christy Hurst, a former teacher and current public school parent.
1: And always remember, don't get mad, get organized.